And you're very welcome back. Now, Patricia Ford is an award-winning children's author with some 20 titles to her name and counting. She still goes because writers have to write. And she recently published The Girl Who Fell to Earth and last month became Laureate Nanogan. She's on the line to us. She's in studio in Galway. Good morning to you, Patricia Ford. Good morning, Oliver. You are a Laureate Nanogue, so congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And tell us, please, what a Laureate Nanogue is or how does it come about? Yeah, so it's... Uh, an honour bestowed by the Arts Council on a children's writer or illustrator. And you're nominated by people from the book industry, you know, booksellers, librarians, writers, former laureates, all those kind of people nominate you. And uh, then your job really is to promote uh, reading amongst young young people. It must be extra special for you to to have the real book lovers and the people in your industry and the people recommending books and feeling them and uh, excited about them every day to be the ones that decided that you're you're the po- you're the laureate Nanog at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And you're there's a shortlist. You know, they a lot of people are nominated and then they're shortlisted. So you get this ah. really scary phone call in November mm-hmm. saying uh, you're on the shortlist. And, you know, do you want to go ahead? Because if you say yes, the next call you get could be saying that you're a laureate Nanog. So up till then, it's kind of all a bit of crack. And then you have yeah. to get serious and say, oh, yeah, I will. There's all this and, responsibility. And, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden. And then you forget about it because that was November. And um, then in January, they phone you. Oh. And they say, um, congratulations, you're the seventh laureate Nanog. And if you're like me, you nearly fall down in a dead faint. Yeah. And say, what have I done? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's been great. And, and it's hugely exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, you should, yeah, be, really you should exciting. be very, very proud of yourself because you've been okay. you've been working away for years and years. So what, what exactly is the job description of the Laureate Nanog? Well, Laureate Nanog, like I said, you're an ambassador for children's reading. Yeah. It's your job to motivate the entire country to get children reading. Mm-hmm. And also, I suppose, to promote your own sector, to promote Irish children's writers and illustrators. And for me, that's a really exciting part of it because... We're so lucky in Ireland. People don't realise we have fantastic children's writers and illustrators. Yes. Uh, And one thing I would love to do is to make sure that parents and teachers get to know more about them. Because you know yourself, when I was growing up, certainly, the only books available to us were books that were written and published very often in the UK or the US. Fantastic books. I loved Ina Blyton and All the Gang. But now we have our own books. Indigenous writers and illustrators and great publishers. So it's lovely to um, to try and support that sector and get people interested There's in what we're writing. There's just a whole bank of people out there, isn't there? And I yeah. buy books for, for kids, for nieces and nephews all the time and people like Catherine Doyle and Shane Hegarty, Owen yeah. Colfer. It's just a whole world, isn't it, of, of Irish and, and, writers. And brand, brand new ones brand every new day. Ones, yes. There's a great woman in Cork at the moment, Leona Ford. No relation, but Leona's <laughs> written a very funny book about, um, I can't think of Something McCarthy is a complete catastrophe. I think it's Melissa McCarthy is a complete catastrophe. But it's funny. And Leona it's, Ford uh, will be Leona able to find it. Leona in Cork, yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, we great. We have great people. You get to come up with your own theme as Laureate Nanogue and your own project. Yes, I did. And the theme I came up with was Sowly Sowly, which in Irish means imagine, imagine. Mm-hmm. And the second part of it is making it up as we go along. Oh, I love that. And that was kind of like my whole life story, really. <laughs> making <laughs> okay, it up as we yeah, go yeah. along. So I thought, yeah, I could do that. And kind of the centrepiece of that is going to be uh, next spring and going to go on a bus, think school tour, with loads of writers and illustrators down along the Wild Atlantic Way, making up stuff on the bus, meeting kids, sharing what we're doing, sharing what they're doing and generally having a great time. (laughs) 
No, that sounds like even if it's raining outside, there's nothing better than sitting in the bus looking down yeah. at the rain streaming down the window because you go off and you, a bit like in school when you weren't paying attention, you're looking at the window, you're daydreaming, which you get mm. into trouble for, but you're a fan of daydreaming. Yeah, big fan. I think I wouldn't got anywhere in my life if I wasn't a really good daydreamer. And like that in school, you know, that was always the thing, you know, pay attention, stop looking out the window. Mm. But that's where it is. You know, that's where the creative space is. If you haven't time to slow down and daydream and imagine things. And sometimes I think, you know, we're so busy telling kids the opposite. We're so busy saying, you know, focus, pay attention. Don't be letting your mind wander. But, you know, if we didn't let our minds wander, we wouldn't have anything in the arts. That's where it's at. Yeah. You know, we can build whole worlds just by looking out the window. And we do. (laughs) (laughs) And we do. Uh, You're also a believer in reading out loud. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of children, you know, a lot of parents would say to me, you know, my child is a reluctant reader or very resistant to reading. And I think, you know, we're all lazy. Sometimes Mm. I'd get a book, you know, for my book club and I just think, I don't like the sound of this or I don't like the first two pages. And with children, that's heightened because it could be in the first page they'd see a word they can't pronounce or they don't recognise or the name of the character, they can't say it. So if you, as the adult, read the first couple of chapters aloud to them, no matter what age they are, uh, get them into it, like get them to the point where there's kind of a cliffhanger. I guarantee you, they won't, they'll absolutely want to read the rest of it. Yeah. But, but it can be hard for them to get going, you know, just to get started. So reading out aloud, I hate when they did it in school, I have to say. You used to be so embarrassed having to read out loud. Oh yeah, you had to read out loud, yeah. It was the worst thing and trying to find the place where they left off. But <laughs> weren't there great kind of ways of putting you off a book? You know, read it out loud, first of all, whether you're shy or whatever yeah, you are, yeah. read out loud. Then after that, you always had to write a piece saying why you liked it. Now, by then I hated it because I had to write the piece about why I liked it. It was like everything we did in school. Do you remember that? Like if you went, had a really good day and you went on a school tour, yeah. then they'd ruin it because when you come home, you had to write about why you liked essay. it. yeah. Yeah. Imagine now, you know, now if you went to a party and you came home and your family said, well, now, Oliver, you have to sit down now and so, write, yeah. write 500 words about why you liked it. And a little illustration at the top. Yeah, <laughs> if you could manage it. What everybody said, uh, and that'll be <laughs> that'll be for the defamation hearing. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's a, it's a really it's a really good idea, and I, I like the idea that, that that there is a Larry Nano going around telling kids that it's okay to day, daydream and yeah. build their universe and so on. And and Oliver, isn't it a great sign of us, you know, as a country? that we have a laureate for, for the big people and we have a laureate in Anogue. It just shows you what mass we have on books yes. and literature. And not every country has that, you know. So I think, like, I really want to tell kids as well, you're really lucky that you live here. Whether you live here, if you can trace your family back to Finn McCool or you arrived a week ago, you're really lucky to be here when it comes to this because mm. we're big storytellers. We love telling stories. We love books. Yeah. Uh, and not everybody has that. So I think I think that's a great thing about living here. No, you're dead right. We just ha- and the fact that we give children's books their due because sometimes, uh, mm. certainly in other countries, they don't get marketed half enough, do they? And all the no. talk is about the. Adult. And it's hard here too. Don't get me wrong. It's it's hard to get you know. Um, it's hard to get column inches. It's hard to get media because there's a lot of competition. Yes. But we do things like this where we support people. You know, and during COVID, the Arts Council were really good supporting artists. Um, so I think yeah, I think we're lucky, and it would be terrible to lose that. Do you know? Like the, our whole thing about storytelling, I think we, we've been brilliant at that always. Uh, I'd hate to see that going. Patricia, you write for, you write As Gwelga and As Berla for all ages. Yeah. Uh, was <laughs> yeah. it inevitable that you were going to become a writer? 
yeah, I think so because I wasn't good at anything else. Um, I was really good at um, daydreaming and thinking up things. I remember, I remember, I was talking to my family about this recently. We didn't have a dishwasher. It was me and my five sisters at home and we used to wash the dishes, you know, in turn every night. Yeah. And when I was very small, I remember I'd be drying the cutlery and in my head, the cutlery were all families. Like the knives and forks were the mummies and daddies and the big spoons were the grandparents wow. and the teaspoons were the babies. And then I could spend, you know, an hour after that playing with the cutlery yeah. because, you know, I had so many soap opera kind of things going on with it the cutlery. Became a little family, little puppeteer yeah. With the cutlery. Yeah, I'd say they could take you away for that now, <laughs> carry you <laughs> off. But um, yeah, I think it was in a way because I just loved, I loved making stuff up and I, um, and I loved reading. My mother used to say that she didn't see anything but the top of my head until I was 12 because I was stuck in a book. You know, I did things like I, I fell down the stairs at least twice whilst reading a book coming down. Um, <laughs> you know, I walked into lamppost. That is the God's truth. I walked into a lamppost one time because I was coming from the library reading a book and we lived in the middle of town and I walked bang into the lamppost and I knocked myself out. Is that so funny? And I'd say you were given out to sometimes for having your head stuck in a book whereas now oh, it is yeah. phones and, and iPads I'd, and so on. You know, I couldn't do maths or any of those things, never could. And while maths would be going on in school, I'd be reading a book under the desk and inevitably getting caught because I wasn't clued in enough to keep an eye on the environment around me. So the next thing you know, a hand would clamp on your shoulder and I would be caught reading, you know, Nancy Drew <laughs> while they were doing equations. Yeah, maths just wasn't your forte. No. And then when I was teaching, I always say, you could point out the children that I taught in Galway because they're great at reading and writing. They love books and they can't do sums. Anyway. <laughs> okay, right. and were you, you were primary school, were you? Yeah, I was pri- primary school. I went to the University College Galway here and yeah. uh, when I finished, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went off and at the time you could do one year in Dublin in St. Patrick's College to become a primary teacher. So I did that and I taught for about nine years and wow. loved it. What did you, you said you, you tried a couple of things and discovered you weren't mm. any good at them. What else did you try? <laughs> well, I was an actress for a very short while. Oh, right. I thought I'd do that. Yeah. I really thought I'd have a go at that. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I'd been a waitress and I was a very good waitress. I could have actually stuck at that. I was excellent as a waitress. You're good with cutlery. Keep... When you start talking to the cutlery, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's enough now. We'll send her <laughs> on her way. So um, fairly shortly, I, I took off. Then I was teaching and I took time off to write a book. Because as you can see, making it up as you go along, I yeah. was totally disciplined. I said, yes, this is what I'm going to do now. And I took a year off. And at Christmas of that year, I was asked to be director of Galway Arts Festival, as it was at the time. And of course, in my very disciplined state, I threw the book across the room and said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so I did that for five years and then I went back. I, I wrote a lot for television, for children's programming with um, RT at first and then TG Carr. Um, so, yeah, so I was the writing, always making the, it up. The writing the, yeah. uh, bone was being, was being tickled, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And when I was teaching and reading children's books to my classes, I started very arrogantly to think, oh, maybe I could do this myself. You know, I've read so many of them now. I could, I could maybe have a go. Um, is the secret to writing a book just sticking at it? Because you, you said you started, flung the book away mm. and uh, yeah. didn't come back to it. And that's the kind of story for a lot of writers, isn't it? They start a thing and they don't finish or know how. Absolutely. And what, what usually happens, I find, is you have a great idea, you start the book. And of course, the hardest part of a book is the middle of it. So you get to the middle. And if you're like me, you say, well, I know what's wrong here. This was a terrible idea. Mm. And I have lots of ideas. So I'm going to dump this one. I'm going to start another one because I have this other great idea. 
But the trouble is, <clears throat> that's how, how not to finish. You know, you, you have to keep going. Stick with the idea you have. Even if you think now it's the worst idea ever, stick with it, get to the finish line. Because you don't have anything really until you get there. When you get to the end, it's very, well, it's not very easy, but it's a lot easier to polish that up and make it better than it is to start all over again. Yeah. And, and the stuff I write, which is like big speculative fiction, <laughs> you know, it, you inevitably are going to run into big questions you can't answer in the middle of the book. You know, if you start speculating about what could be like my first novel, The Wordsmith, was about a group of people who only had 500 words. They were the only words they were allowed to use. It was set in you the know, future. It was set in the future after global warming. And mm-hmm. there's only this one gang left and um, they, they're they only allowed 500 words because the fellow who runs the world thinks, well, you talked yourself into so much trouble before <laughs> the, before global warming. You were all telling each other it'll all be grand. So now you've only 500 words. But then you're in the middle of the book, Oliver, and you're thinking, how do, how do I do this now? Because I need that word and I need this word. Right. And how am I going? You know, so that's m- normally in the old days, I would have given up there and said, yeah, well, that was a really bad idea. 500 words. I'm not going to do that. But in this case, I did finish it. And um, that, that was kind of the first time I realised I could write a novel from beginning to end. That was your, one of your most successful books, wasn't it? The Wordsmith. Yeah, it was. The it Wordsmith. Had, it had a different name in America. Yeah, they called it The List. Because you see, Oliver... In America, they said nobody would understand Wordsmith. They'd never figure it out. Unlike the Irish people who figured it out effortlessly. That's amazing. It's another yeah, word they don't so have. They, they called it the list. Did they make any other edits? The only other edit they made was there was one very chaste kiss. The mm. book is aimed at kind of 12 plus. There was a very chaste kiss in it and uh, the Americans removed it. Can't have They said there will be no kissing because there were schools in America that wouldn't take the book for that age if there was a kiss in it. Wow. So now I've, I've abolished really have kissing. Gone, yeah, they've really gone uh, back to where we were um, from roughly the <laughs> 1920s up to yeah. 1990. It was familiar. It was yeah. familiar yeah. It's very familiar. Yeah, it's very I knew familiar. exactly what was wrong. Your latest one is The Girl Who Fell to Earth and, and you're yeah. you're informed by your topics, aren't you, by actually chatting to children and going around in your business as the Laureate Nanog. So, so tell us how they've informed uh, the idea behind this book. Yeah, well, um, the children I noticed recently, we talk a lot about where they get their information from. And in this book, this book says that this planet or, yeah, that the humankind was created a thousand years ago by another planet called Teros. And they gave us everything. What do you think you know about dinosaurs and Romans and Greeks? They gave you all that. They gave you the history and the archaeology. They even gave you some of your memories. Mm -hmm. So um, it's only a thousand years old. And now they're fed up with us because we're destroying the planet. And they send a young girl called Arya and her father to finish the human experiment. So they're going to get rid of us for once and for all. And Arya comes to Earth believing that we're very bad people and that we don't live very long. On, On her planet, they live forever. So here we don't live very long. So her people have told her that we don't form relationships. We don't love one another because we're not going to be here for long. So when she comes to Earth and discovers when she meets a young girl her own age that that's not the case and we're not as bad as we were painted and everything she's been told about us is a lie. Uh She has to try to save Earth but also save herself because she's gone over to the dark side now. It's all very, very familiar, isn't it? And that's the the best fantasy is rooted in, in reality. Absolutely. And I had to very quickly get them to Earth because I would find it difficult to sustain the sci-fi thing, you know, everything being unreal. But she's here on Earth, but she brings with her some of the things from her own culture. Like she has a memory disk. So she only stores kind of recent memories in her brain 
and the rest is downloaded to a disc. So she wants to remember when she was five, she has to put the disc in her ear and go back to that. Mm. And it, we're told in the book that that this is why we have things like Alzheimer's and our brains are overloaded. I was trying, you see, Albert, to find things that might happen in the future for mm. us. What, what might we invent or where would we get to? Yeah. One of the funniest ones was I was doing a bit of research and I met a lovely um, scientist here in the university and we were talking about the book and I was asking him those kind of things, you know, what might we invent? And he said, the next big frontier, I think, he said, is death itself which at the end of the day is, is a disease and we might be able to cure it. Yes. Uh, and he was saying how he was working on this microscopic organism that you couldn't kill. You couldn't kill it no matter what you did. And he said to me, the day I can kill it, when I find out what's keeping it alive, I'll have the secret of eternal life. Of course, I said to him, why are we here drinking coffee? Get back to the lab quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't have that much time. This reminds uh, me of towards the end of that Sapiens book that sold millions and millions around the world. Mm. That he talks about the immortals that are, are going to yeah. rise at some point and the billionaires are already working on that for all of humanity. No, just for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> just for themselves. And if you talk to children about these things, you know, you're yes. asking them, is it good to live forever? Or mm. is it not good to live forever? You know, I could listen to them all day. What they do they say? Ideas. Well, it's funny, you know, it's kind of gender based. A lot of the boys oh, would say, yes, well, I want to live forever. Um, <laughs> some of the girls would talk about people getting sick and, you know, maybe not being themselves at the end of their lives. And that wouldn't be great. Wow. Um, but they're they're well able to discuss philosophy. You know, they they mm. love talking about uh, what could be and what might be and, and what we might invent and what might happen. They're sort of undaunted, aren't they, by all the... Uh the the, the, the the crushing disappointment that is adult independence. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, people, children. Yeah, hello children. People, <laughs> people are always saying, you know, oh, the next generation, they're not the same. They're on their phones and they don't have the same imagination. Couldn't be less true. In my experience, I, I did a book called To the Island, which was about, it's a picture book about a magical island that's said to appear off the coast of Galway every seven years called mm. Hybrazel. That bit's true. And it was a picture book. And I was asked, my mother used to always say the fairies disappeared when electricity came in. Meaning that once you couldn't see the shadows and the dark corners, you know, you knew. But I was asking the kids why they thought that was. And these are small children. And I couldn't get over every explanation they came up. They said things like, well, the fairies were in charge of the candles and making sure the house didn't burn down. So when electricity came in, they were redundant and, you know, like that was got rid of them. But the Not one the thing idea. they never said, they never, ever said, because there are no fairies. Like yes, there was course, an okay, absolute right. conviction there were fairies. Yes. It was just, where did they go? As, as indeed there was uh, across as much of, of the country. Um, as of course there are still fairies and, and the belief yeah. and particularly that, that mirage, the high Brazil, was it? High Brazil. High Brazil, yeah. That, um, that people thought they could see off the west of Ireland. Well, um, it was on the maps in the, I think <laughs> it was back in the 1600s, uh-huh. it was on the maps. Yep. Um, there's some lovely text messages coming in to you, Patricia Ford. Could oh, send a huge congratulations to Patricia on a great achievement. I'm writing since 2015, trying so hard to get a publisher to publish my children's story. I am still trying. We'll keep trying till it happens, says Patricia Finn. Well, that's the way to go, Patricia Finn. Keep trying. Keep on believing. Sure, make it up yeah. as you go along. Make it up. <laughs> Easy to understand how Patricia became Laurie Nanogue. Very interesting, engaging speaker. She used the term having mass on something. I love that. I don't hear it very <laughs> much anymore. It's a pity. No wonder her fellow writers have Ardvas on her. Very good. <laughs> Thank and you. And The Wordsmith is an absolutely brilliant book. I'm a teacher. It's on the indicative list for junior cycle students of English. I was trying to select a book for my students. I couldn't put it down. It's so well written, enjoyable, and there's so much food for thought in it about the importance of 
of language and words and reading widely and understanding the broad world, especially for today's world. It brings up great conversation in classrooms. So that's thank you from a very happy teacher, Patricia Ford. So lots of lovely praise from you. And you. Uh, congratulations on being the laureate Nanog. And uh, The Girl Who Fell to Earth, Little Island Books is publishing. Yes, uh, Little Island Books. So Patricia Ford, good morning and uh, enjoy looking out, uh, looking for high Brazil out of the West Coast for the weekend. <laughs> In the rain today. I'll In the rain, yeah, you might see it. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Have a lovely thank weekend. Sláinte